Good morning to everyone. Um, I could have said good morning to you all, but I don't know how that will come. Yeah, as you can hear, Dale have helped me a great deal with my pronunciation. Um, I mean, if thank you, if you if you did not see the two of, of us here together, you might have thought that we are twins uh, listening to our accent. I have got, I don't know where Dale has slipped to now, but I do want to say to the pastoral staff here that they will have to tell him that jealousy is a sin because last time I caught a bigger fish than him and now he makes all the remarks about my fishing. This morning I want to make you aware of two books. This one is a great Bible study. It's called Knowing God and Doing Justice. My wife, Surya, and a couple of other people have written this Bible study, and there's a DVD for Bible study groups as well that can put it in. Um, I know there's not many remaining, but this Bible study will change your life. I know this for sure. So it's just outside here, and I honestly don't want to take some of them back, so um, I want to manipulate you a little bit to go and get them, please. (laughs) Then this one here is called Followers and Fishers. I do think that in experiencing God, we learn to observe what God is busy doing and then to fall in with what He is doing. So this little book is what God is doing in our continent in Africa. If you would like your faith to grow, read through the articles and testimonies in this little book. Um, It will bless you to see that God is at work in Africa as well amongst the unreached. This morning, I would also like to share with you, Mike have um, said that I am from Operation Mobilization, and I just love OM. Having said that, me and Surya have come to a place where we feel that God is stirring a new vision on our hearts. So we are actually finishing by the end of February next year with OM. We will, of course, always work close to them. Um, because many of me and Surya's spiritual children are in there. But we have this crazy dream to see every single unreached people group in Africa being reached with the gospel. And um, the idea, the strategy that I believe God has given us really resonated with another kind of structure where we can even include people like yourselves right into the mission field even though you are still here. So we will need people that is accountants to give maybe one or two hours a day, or people who like social media, people who like to go on outreach, teachers, school teachers specifically, people that can edit and write. So if you are interested to see that you are in the mission field, even though you are here, and some of you, I hope, will come over to Africa as well, this is sort of a new wineskin that we are attempting to create. So... Please pray with us uh, that we can finish well with OM up to the end of February. Um, I mean, like I'm saying, we will always be working together because most of the work in Africa, God have used me in Syria to start there. But we are also excited about this new venture. Can you not dream with me, please? You know, and I'm going to share with you a very, very personal thing. I like to daydream. I must confess something else. I also like chick flicks. I know that is... uh, (coughs) And I'm being seen as a redneck of Africa as well, so it doesn't make sense, but it does to me in any case. So um, this thing about me that I want to confess with you is that I like to daydream. If I cannot sleep at night, 
I would lie down there and daydream. Now, maybe you don't do that. Um, you are the poorer for it because in my daydreams, I've managed to do everything I always want to do and don't get right in the real life. But one of my dreams may be the one that is more real to me than any other of my daydreams is I'm imagining myself sitting on a big pavilion and there is a massive throne with God there. And then I see all of the unreached people groups of the world, one by one, walking forward. And then they go and kneel and they say, thank you, Jesus. And some of them I even recognize and they show me, I'm here, thank you, man. That's for me such an amazing dream. You need, you see, to see Jesus that I so love and that I deeply appreciate and worship, not just as my father, but also as my king to see him being worshipped, but also to see people from unreached places, the least of these, having the opportunity to know him. And I think this is what me and Surya is after in this next season, to see every single unreached people group in Africa having the opportunity to hear about the grace of a loving Father. So please pray with us in this season. Maybe you can share this dream to see that unreached peoples get to know Christ. If you would like to know the names of the 1,057 unreached people groups still remaining, email me, and I send you all of the details that you can take ownership together with us to see the Lord being glorified to the very ends of the earth. Now, of course, Surya is sending much greetings and the children as well. Um, you know, we, when I was on the plane, I was ministering at the different churches and then from New York here, when I climbed on, I had sort of, now I'm going home to Tennessee. So thank you for all of you and your love and hospitality to us as well. This morning, I would like to talk about being called and commissioned. And you know, to a certain way, for me, it is tragic that so many of us are nibbling at God's possibilities and opportunities instead of jumping in wholeheartedly. You know, so often we cut ourselves short by being afraid to step out of the boat, to walk on the water, because we are so confined by what is possible and what is impossible. We are so confined by the sciences of this world, by what we think is real in terms of finance and economies. And I tell you that God is bigger. He can still move the mountains. And you see, somehow we will just have to start to get an attitude of faith, of real trust with God, and the bravery. No wonder God said to Joshua, be brave. Just go over, and we will see God performing the miracles in and through our lives. At least, if we are not just nibbling, if we are just not minimum Christians, I believe we will see the Jericho halls come tumbling down. We will start to see things that we deemed impossible become possible because, you see, the God that we serve is the God of the impossible. Nothing for God is impossible. All the mountains, all the obstacles that we see to God is nothing. I mean, just imagine, He's the King of the universe, the Creator of the universe. He spoke and it happened. We serve an awesome God. 
But somehow, God invites us to climb out of the boat. He don't say force us out. He gives us that free choice to join in with what He is busy doing in the world. So I would like to share with you a little bit out of the book of Acts, but before that, on the, on the screen you will see a newspaper article that I've discovered this morning. Um, you see Tri-Cities Baptist Church in Tennessee closes down, headlines. I don't know how you feel about that. You know, what would you think if that was real? Of course it's not real, it's my own um, newspaper that I've created. But in any case... What would your feeling be if you wake up one day and that is true in one of your main newspapers? What would your reaction be? You know, I, I think that many of you would be upset. Another church closes down. Oh, it's my church that's closing down. That's not good. But I'm not so interested in what you feel as a Christian already. My question is, what would the non-Christians here in Tri-Cities area, say when they see that? Will they be upset? Will they com be complaining and write petitions and say, this church cannot close down because it's so worth, so valuable to our society, to the community, to the world. We cannot be without it. This will be a disaster if Tri-Cities closes down. Is that what their testimony would be? Or will they just flip past and not even miss us at all. And that's a sobering thought because you see this building is not the church. We are the church. And each one of us is destined, we are commissioned to be a change agent both here to the very ends of the earth. And if we as the church are not being that salt and light, somehow something has gone terribly wrong with each one of us individually as part of the body of Christ. So if we are going to Acts chapter 13, just some background, the people, the way that the church was started in Antioch was by the Christians leaving because they were persecuted in Jerusalem and so on. And as they went, they shared the good news. Many of them settled in Antioch, and the strong church developed there. It is the second place that we really read that many non-Jews came to Christ. Peter saw the cloud coming down, you know, with the unclean animals in it, the shroud, and he helped some of the Roman centurions and so on to come to faith. But the next step is that these Christians, ordinary Christians, that left and fled and stayed in Antioch, started to first share with the Jews, and then they stepped out of the boat and they started to share the gospel with the Gentile Greeks there. And they invited them in. Imagine, they did something that was so brand new, so out of the box for the way that they were thinking. And this is also the first place where people start to call them nicknames and say, they are the Christians. What a testimony that they identified these people with Jesus Christ himself. So let us turn to um, Ephesians, uh, um, um, Acts chapter 13, from verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called uh, Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manahem, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrach, and Saul. 
while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now I just want to stop there. First of all, it is good to note that they were busy worshiping the Lord when God spoke to them. They understood that God is their Father, but also the Almighty God, worthy of all of our praises. It came from hearts that was overflowing with love to the Savior. And from within this context of worship, God speaks to them, because missions is nothing but worship. You see, the Bible says in Habakkuk, it says, like the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I love that. You see, I love that all the nations come and bow down and confess with their tongues and saying, you are the Lord to Jesus because He is God. He's the only true God. So, you see, in the same way, missions, when we are taking the gospel and more and more people join us in this massive human choir called the body of Christ, worshiping Him, lifting up our voices, lifting up our hands, worshiping Him. That's missions. As we introduce more people into relationship with the Lord. And they, from this, came and realized that they need to set apart Paul and Barnabas. Now, here is a thought for you all. You see, if we read this, we see that God did not speak to Paul and Barnabas. He spoke to the church. And they set them apart. It is incredible. That, of course, Paul and Barnabas was part of the church. But all of us are involved in sending out peoples to the ends of the earth. All of us are the salt and the light. We cannot just say, Kun and Surias, our missionaries, there they go. That's not how it works. We need to take personal ownership of the good news of Christ. But so often, we are afraid to really jump in. You know, we are just putting our toes in the water. Now, when the Tri-Cities team was recently to, to us at South Africa, I must tell you, they baptized some people, and that gave me a great um, joy to see how they baptized people. One of them, uh, I'm tempted to say his name. I will not say its name to you, but in any case, he was sitting there, and he was trying to baptize somebody, and as he was stepping down the steps of the swimming pool, his feet slipped, and he fell on top, and he rolled in head first to baptize another person. And, I, you know, I was thinking about it. It was hilarious, funny. I wish we could have it on camera. But um, I was thinking, he's not just going in to baptize. He's just go right in to baptize people from within the water. I think something of that is what we as Christians must do. We cannot just put our toes in the water. We must jump in. We must get all in. And no person without passion will ever get all in. And this is the dream that I have also for the church, that we so fall in love with God our Savior, that we cannot help to go all in with all of our resources, with all of the gifts that God has entrusted to us, with all the relationships. We need to be all in. 
So the second thing is, so after they have put these people aside, they still kept on fasting and praying. And then they placed their hands on and sent them off. If we go to Acts chapter, um, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, and I want you to just read this with me. I'm not going to say too much about it. Just to, to bring clearer <coughs> to, your, to light the whole calling that Paul experienced there. In chapter 3, Paul is explaining what God have done through the whole church to him and Barnabas. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than all the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, for which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I just want to highlight that one phrase, through the church. Paul understood that he received it, but it was still the church that received it through the church. This mystery, this calling for us to have the privilege of taking the gospel to the Gentiles, to the unreached. Isn't it, isn't it shameful almost that more than 2,000 years after Christ, there is still 1,057 unreached people groups, unreached nations in the continent of Africa? I'm not even talking about the whole world. We have got so much going for us that the only hindrance really is our attitudes, is us being so comforted in our, so comfortable in our comfort zones that we as God's people worldwide are not going out with passion, stepping outside of our comfort zones. So to a big extent, I do believe that God is challenging us every time like He challenged the church in Antioch to enlarge our territory, to step out of the boat, even though the territory is strange and new and we are seeing all the giants. You see, he invites us still to cross that Jordan River, to go and see that the giants, their knees should bow. The city walls should come down because our God is big. So, um, as I was thinking about this, I want to share with you a story of a church that demonstrated this to me. It was a church in Zambia, outside in Mansa, and this church is not very big, about 150-odd people, but 99% of them were self-subsistence farmers. They had no employment. They were living with far less than $1 a day. They were what we would call the poorest of the poor. 
a young man came to us and said, I want to go to Tanzania as a missionary. And we trained him, and now it was time for him to go, but it was costing about 500 US dollars to get him there. I went with him to his church, and I was sitting in front when they brought the offerings and tithings, and I saw that all of the offerings and tithings for that Sunday was about $1. And I knew that I'm going to share with the church that they must send this guy forth, and it will take $500 to just get him there, and then they still needed to support him every month. In any case, I went forth and I spoke and I preached and challenged the church and afterwards the elders, because they couldn't afford the pastor, stood one side and they prayed together and then they came forward and said, we will send him. I went back to our offices 600 kilometers from there and my team asked me, Kuna, how was it this weekend? And I said, wonderful people, but poor. They will never get the money together to send this young man. Was I wrong? Two weeks later, they found me. We've got all the money. When can he go? I asked them, how did you manage that? They said, well, we brought all of the money we've got, and it wasn't enough. Then a lady said, listen here, we don't need more than two shirts and two trousers. So they brought all of the extra clothes. They sold it at the market. It wasn't enough. They talked again. A man said, we don't need to eat two or three times a day. So they went measure off their maize, which is their staple foods, and see how much they use per day, measured it off so that they had enough till the next harvest season, and brought all of the rest, sacrificing two meals a day. Because they were passionate of sending. You see, it's not a question if we can. It's a question if we want to. I asked them, why? Why did you do that? They were so surprised. They said to me, well, is Jesus not worthy to be known amongst this Muslim tribe? I said, yes, he is. He said, so why do you ask us why we sacrifice? We love Jesus. Me and Surya and most of our teams, in the beginning years, for more than 10, 12 years, we would fast one day a week, taking all of our food and sell it because we didn't have the money to send forth missionaries. But we believed. We believe in God's kingdom. It's special to us. The kingdom of God is like a land that we discovered with a treasure in it. And we are willing to sell everything that we have, to lose everything that we have. Because we believe. Are you excited about God's kingdom? About God? You see, if we are not excited, then it means that there's something wrong with our personal relationship. And we need to get down and encounter God yet again. If we are in the presence of God, if we experience Him, if we have an encounter and we see how big and awesome He is, the God that we serve, we cannot help it. Just like the people of old, we fall on our knees before the Lord, on our faces. We get invested, we get inspired, like the church in Antioch. But it starts with you knowing the Lord deeply intimately so. It starts with us connecting with Him and loving Him and worshiping Him. I'm going to change lanes a little bit, and I'm going to go to Romans chapter 1, and you can read with me, because, um, but to bring context to this piece, there was a time that one of the Roman Caesars was not happy with the Jewish people because they were fighting the Christian Jews and the 
uh, non-Christian Jews, and there was always tension. And this uh, Roman Caesar didn't like it, so he chased all of the Jewish people, the Christians and the non-Christians, out of um, uh, the city of Rome. So he, he basically banned them. And then after about nine years, he died. And all of these Jews came back to their houses, back to their families. But this time, the Gentiles became the leaders. Where the Jewish guys was the leaders in the past, now the Gentile believers took over the leadership. And there was suddenly tension. Because they said, I'm back. I'm back as a pastor. No, this Gentile pastor is... Uh, ex-Gentile pastor, I am now, you were gone for so many years. And tension came. They also had tension about doctrines, for instance, circumcision, because some of the Christian Jews believed that you still need to be circumcised, and the Gentiles said, no, it's not. So there is a, a lot of conflict. And we need to accept this, brothers and sisters, that there is messiness in the church. But God is bigger than our messiness. And one of the things that I want to warn you against is that if we don't have a clear vision and a clear mission, if we are not on journey with the Lord Jesus, if we are not focused, then squabbles and quarrels and things will erupt all the time. Because we are not focused. You see, um, they say the laziness or, or idleness is the devil's workshop or something like that. If we are not focused, then all this messiness is even increasing. But God is bigger than our messiness. I like to say sometimes that um, I, I don't only subscribe to missiology, but to messiology. And am I not glad about that? Amidst of our failure, amidst of our messes, God still brings people into his kingdom. Wow, he's good. I also like to say to people, where two or three are gathered in my name, sooner or later there will be a mess. I mean, none of you ever fight with your wives or husbands, am I right? But you see, God is bigger. And we should stop making excuses and say, well, you know, this excuse and that excuse, God is even bigger than our excuses. So the people in Rome take their eyes off the goal. They started to forget that they are called and commissioned. And they start to fight and have inner struggles on all sort of petty issues. Paul writes to them, and he starts off by basically saying to them, don't forget who you are. You are a holy people called for a purpose. Let's read. He starts off by himself saying, I, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. Regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes, uh, that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus, called into this body. You, therefore, are also called and commissioned. I would like to just highlight verse 5. It says, through him, because it's through Jesus, 
through him, we have received grace and uh, uh, through, through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Here is two things here. It's for his name's sake. That's why the church in Antioch received their mandate, their calling from a time of worship. It's for the name of God, for his sake. When we are doing good things, it's not to pat ourselves on the shoulder and say, hey, what great people are we? No, it's about him and his worship. But then the word says, we have received. Paul says, I have received apostleship. Now he says, we have received grace and apostleship. All of us that know the Lord Jesus have received grace. It's by grace and grace alone that we are saved. A free gift from God, not by what we do. So all of us that have a testimony of Jesus have received grace. But together with grace, we have received responsibility. We have received apostleship. Apostleship means to be sent. So we have received grace, and we have received a calling to see that the gospel go to the Gentiles. And just to make sure, he did not only say, I, we, he says, and you are also the cult of Christ. So everyone that come to faith have received an assignment, a calling, a destination. I would like to bring it a little bit more practical and use the word calling, and I looked it up the Greek word is kletos. I don't know how to say it exactly. I'm an African, not a Greek. Although some, the first time that Dale was speaking to me, I thought he was speaking Greek. I didn't understand him. Nonetheless, um, if, if we look at the word kletos, it, it means to be called, and it has two components to it. The first part is to be invited. The second part is to be commissioned or to be empowered or to receive the mandate. For instance, Isaiah, in his calling in Isaiah 6, first was touched by God when he realized the sinfulness of himself, his unclean lips. And the angel took a coal from the altar and touched his lips. And then God speaks to himself. The Trinity speaks to himself and say, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? Just note, God is not saying, Isaiah, you go. He just made sure that Isaiah is aware of his activity. And he waits for Isaiah. That's the invitation. God invites all of us. When you drive through the street, God, what you see is an invitation for you to engage the world. When I'm speaking here, or when you are at your job, that's your invitation. Every day we are invited on a micro level to be involved to live out our apostleship. When we say, here am I, Lord, when our attitudes are right, God commissioned us and say, go, like he did. That's the second part. But we also, as a church, have this calling, this invitation to engage with the Gentiles on a more macro level. And some of us, you know, like Paul and Barnabas, have specific assignments to go. Every one of us have that specific assignment. But all of us together have it too. So God's invitation is before us. He's busy working in the world. Now, let me tell you this. We can send so many drones to shoot ISIS down their leaders. 
and military weapons and so on, it's never going to stop radical Islam because it's a condition of the heart that's the problem. I'm not saying it's wrong to protect ourselves by sending the drones. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying true change will not come through military intervention. It will only come when people get to know the, the gospel of peace, Jesus. That's what will make the difference. And we need to pray that the gospel will go to the Gentiles, that their hearts will be changed. I'm going to give you a um, reading piece um, just to give this attitude through to you. And this comes by the hand of a man called William Booth. You can just have, uh, read with me. So there you go. Dr. Wilbur Chapman had an interview with General William Booth on one of his last visits to the United States, which led to these observations. When I looked into his face and saw him brush back his hair from his brow and heard him speak of the trials and the conflicts and the victories, I said, General Booth, tell me what has been the secret of your success all the way through. He hesitated a second and I saw the tears come into his eyes and steal down his cheeks and then he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all their was of me. There have been men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor people of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God could have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all of the adoration of my heart, all of the power of my will, and all of the influence of my life. He looked at me a minute, and I soon learned another secret of his power. He said, when do you go? I said, in five minutes. He said, pray. And I dropped to my knees with General Booth by my side and prayed the stammering and stuttering prayer. Then he talked with God about the outcasts of London, the poor of New York, the lost of China, the great world lying in wickedness. He opened his eyes as if he were looking into the very face of Jesus. And with sobs, he prayed God's blessing upon every mission worker, every evangelist, every minister, every Christian. With his eyes still overflowing with tears, he bade me goodbye and started away, past 80 years of age, to preach on the continent. And I learned from William Booth that the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. It is not a question of who you are or of what you are, but of whether God control you. You see, before we give our possessions, we need to give ourselves. Count von Zinzendorf is saying it in this way, and you can follow this quote. He said, I have one passion. It is he, he and he alone. The world is the field and the field is the world, and henceforth that country shall be my home, where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. He understands something that's beyond temporal. He understands eternal. Listen here, brothers and sisters, we will not take our money, we will not take our pleasures of this world to heaven. There is something bigger than this world that we can live for. That's God and His kingdom. That's the invitation. But unfortunately, we need to respond to the invitation first. Just like Isaiah to say, here am I, Lord, send me. Maybe you are retired. 
with all of the experience and life experience, why waste it? Why not finish stronger than when you have started? You don't need finance. You already have your pension. Maybe you are a CPA or a teacher. Give that to God, and not just in the minimum capacity, not just here in your schools, but also say, I will give two hours a week of my time internationally. Or maybe you are a person that understands websites and communication through social media, and I can go on and on and on. Just like the little boy that looked at the two fish and the five loaves of bread and said, Jesus, what I have in my hand is yours. And Jesus could feed the 5,000. What do you have in your hand? Are you satisfied with just using it the way that you are using it at present? Or is there a stirring in your heart that want to say, Here am I, Lord, send me. Enlarge my territory, Lord. Use me. Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. But Lord, I'm not satisfied with just sitting in the boat. Lord, it's, it's just not good enough. I was long enough confined and defined by my fears and what's possible and impossible. Lord, here am I. Send me. I do believe that God has given us in Tri-Cities an opportunity, an opportunity to see the impossible, an opportunity to say, yes, Lord, all that tribes in Africa, here am I, Lord. Will you not pray and dream with me? But let's not just be hearers of the word. Let's not stay like all the other disciples in the boat and only Peter climbs out. But as we are climbing out, let's keep our eyes fixed unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you deeply. And Lord, we are privileged. You don't need us. Father, but this love expression of yours to say, come, join me, become my co-workers, it's just too big a privilege for us to understand. Lord, but we do not want to only take just all that we can get, your grace, but we also want to respond to our apostleship, to our being sent, to the responsibilities that come with loving you, worshiping you. Oh, Father, you are our beginning and end. You are our Alpha, our Omega. You are our very reason, Lord. So, Father, here am I. Send me. Please, Lord. Father, I pray for each one in this room Father, that you will empower them with your faith, with your vision to step out. Because you are worthy, Lord, to be known to the very corners of this earth. And Father, thank you that we have the privilege to say, Abba, Father, we love you, but also to worship before your throne as our King, as our God. We pray all of this in the almighty name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.